and welcome back. This is Ladies First, and today we have two special guest podcasters, Gretchen. Hello, everybody. And Lisa. Hi. All right, so today we're going to talk about something a little bit unusual because we don't talk about books very much on the show. And just to disclose, this is a re-recording of a previous podcast attempt, but the audio was completely garbled on the previous one, so we're going to re-record it for you. It just took us a little while to get all three of us available on the same day. So that's what happens when you're adults and friends. Yeah. <laughs> you just keep Seriously. telling each other, keep telling each other, oh, we'll catch up soon until one of you dies. <laughs> like four months later or whatever. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> okay. So today we're going to be talking about The Hunger Games, which is a book series that we all like very, very much. Uh, Gretchen actually wrote about it for the site once upon a time, and we will be linking to those articles with the podcast article. Uh, but specifically, we want to talk about how a lot of people, myself and all three of us included, um, have taken kind of a queer reading of the protagonist of The Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen. You might say that. Yeah. yeah. Katniss Everdeen not interested in boys? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was totally in love with both of them. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Oh. She had choice paralysis. That's clearly what this was. Right. Yes. yes. Obviously. But well, that's a good lead into our first point of argument about this is a lot of how Katniss interacts with men feels like compuls- uh, compulsory heterosexuality. Yep. Yeah. It's it almost like, good. if I had to pick a guy... Hmm. <laughs> right, she never feels like very jazzed about either of her choices whenever she's thinking about you know Peta and gail and it's a very like calculated um pragmatic choice which isn't bad if that's how you know you think but it doesn't ever feel like she's particularly like strongly attracted to either one of them it's more just like hmm, well, with Gale, he's a good hunter, so he provides really well, and we could eat well, but, like, Peta's really <laughs> nice to me. And <laughs> Gale would be good breeding stock. Right? Like, he so- would. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he would. <laughs> and Peta's just like, well, the Capitol wants me to be with him, and everyone tells me he's a nice guy, and Hamage makes me feel really bad about the fact that I don't seem to like him, so maybe right? I Right? Oh, my God. Like, I mean... It's not that Peta isn't a nice person. It's just Katniss seems kind of indifferent to it. Yeah. She seems indifferent to all of it. And, like, Gretchen, what you're talking about, it's interesting because there is that point in Mockingjay where, like, Gail and Peter are having that conversation that Katniss overhears. And Gail basically says that exact same thing. He says that, you know, she, Katniss is just going to choose whoever she thinks she uh, can't live without. And he doesn't really mean that as in, like, romantically. He means <laughs> yeah. who she needs more. Which is like, you're right. It's like uh, she felt attacked, and it's understandable because it's kind of true, (laughs) right? (laughs) One does feel attacked when one is called out, right? Right, exactly. When someone (laughs) is like saying exactly what is true, you tend to be like, "Wait, no, I'm offended by how accurate that is." Right. Yeah, yeah, and even like the reverse doesn't. I don't know. I never really got the impression that Peta and Gail really felt super strongly about Katniss in the same, in kind of like an overly romantic way. Like as the books went on, Gail felt pretty possessive. I think especially 
towards, you know, Mockingjay and, um, but that's all for Katniss though. Like her feelings for him also feel more like possessiveness than anything else. Right. right? Oh yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's protectiveness. Right. And just like, he's like, he's my best friend. We've always been together. Yeah. Yeah. She has a bit of a codependency on both of them really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but doesn't seem to like really have actual desire for them very much. Like she does have that moment on the beach with Peta where she's, you know, getting turned on, but it seems to be more about like the emotional side of things. And mm. yeah. Also, I mean, when you're in that kind of a moment that can happen, even if you don't really have like strong feelings about somebody, I guess, like <laughs> right. it, it would take, you know, I mean, she could be on the ace or arrow spectrums. She could perhaps be Demi. It would take like some time to break that down, but you know, all that's possible. Yeah, but possible. she also just, even though like it was a considerably larger amount of enthusiasm for Katniss, it was still not what a normal person would consider yeah. enthusiasm. <laughs> right. Like, there's a reason why I think a lot of people read the books, and I think if you are somewhere on the arrow or ace spectrum or understand. Or have friends who are like that makes sense, but I had friends who, um, who are not on the the arrow spectrum and or the arrow a spectrum and don't really know anyone who is. So when they read the books, they were like, "She's just really cold, like and really emotionless and doesn't feel anything." And I was like, "I get why but you she would does right." Like I get why you might get that impression, but I don't think that's what it's about. Like I don't think it's that she's, um. That she doesn't have feelings. It's just she doesn't have what any someone would call classically romantic feelings for either of these two like men in her life. Yeah. Um, and I think even people who aren't queer or aren't um, familiar with like the arrow a spectrum like pick up on that. They just interpret it in a totally different way. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. No, I'd say that's accurate. Right. And okay, I mean, like, I think it's fair to say she could be Arrow or Ice, Arrow or Ace. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there is all that sort of weird homoerotic shit going on. Oh, totally. Uh, maybe we should transition <laughs> to our second point. <laughs> that okay, Katniss has more chemistry with the women in her life than she does with the men. Yes, um, but first, I was going to point out one of my favorite throwbacks in the fandom from like five, six years ago, or, or whatever, which was the Katniss Everdeen outstanding heterosexual meme. Yes. <laughs> so, um, uh, for anybody who di- who was not on Tumblr or didn't see this, it was a uh, it was this meme about like it was mostly quotes of uh, Katniss's from the books. There were also some gifs. Uh, or gifts, as the kids say, such as from <laughs> the elevator scene. Uh, that was a big one. Oh, and right, yeah. You know what? Fuck, I forgot to grab my books off the shelf. So, um, should I grab the book so I could read those? No, that's two okay. Quotes? We can. Okay. No, we don't but, need it. We can get it from. Honestly, like there were most a couple. Are, most I have a couple. I have the books up. So, oh my god, can you pull easy. up the one about glimmer? Her, oh, her about, body being oh, soft right. Lush. About which one? Glimmer. Um, her body being tall and lush. Oh, which book is that one from? It's from The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. All right. Uh, I'm pulling it up, too. Because it's just too good not to laugh at. Okay. This is yeah. a consistent theme with her, especially yeah. through the first two books, where women are described in, like, excruciating detail. 
And not in the way that like straight girls describe girls that they're jealous of. No. Right. Yeah. Straight women notice different things about women than gay women do. Yes. Okay. It's interesting though, because it seems like both Glimmer, especially like it's weird. It seems like Katniss has this, she seems to have that uh, jealousy that you have of other girls before you realize that you like girls. She Mm. seems to be really jealous of her and like, she doesn't like her, but it seems like she's confused as to why almost. Gotcha. Remember we yep. had a conversation a long time ago about being like really unusually competitive with certain yes. people who didn't understand why. Oh my God, I feel attacked. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what like, yeah. Why exactly do I always want to be around this person? Why do why I, do I like, Yeah. Why do I hate her for no reason, but also want to be her best friend? And why doesn't she notice me? I hate her. Oh God! Why is she not <laughs> feeling the same emotional turmoil that I am every time that she asks for a pencil? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. There was one particular girl that when I figured out I was queer, I was like, my brain immediately was like, "Oh, hey, remember Megan?" And I was like, Shit. <laughs> "Yeah, it was yeah like, oh, oh, that's what that was." Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I think uh, that's why you were so painfully I, awkward in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have that quote up, Lisa? I, I, pull, I pulled it up. Okay, Perfect. so this is what, this is probably one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Katniss Everdeen outstanding heterosexual moments. So she says, "The girl tribute from District One, looking provocative in a see-through gold gown, steps up to the center of the stage to join Caesar for her interview. You can tell her mentor didn't have any trouble coming up with an angle for her, with that flowing blonde hair, emerald green eyes, her body tall and lush. Dot dot dot." She's sexy all the way. Girl. What? <laughs> I feel like the ellipsis just makes it that little no, pause. I know. It's like, ah. It's the yeah. pacing of the sentence that's just like, this doesn't feel like professional jealousy. Actually, you know yeah, who she sounds like jealous over, which I think is funny, is Finnick. The way that she talks to Finnick when she first meets him. Not quite jealousy, but like that sort of like aggressiveness you get when you're compa- like genuinely competitive. That's what I got from her talking to Finnick. But the other women, no. <laughs> yeah, no. You never get that. Um, And then like you have all of those. I mean, her interactions with Joanna are just like um, the scene in the elevator and catching fire, which is one yeah. of my favorites. Um. Even in the book, it's really, it's really funny. Right, right. Um, she, she, like, describes Joanna's boobs. She says, like, she yeah. talks to Peter while the while his still-glowing costume reflects off of her bare breasts. Clearly, you were looking. Right. How else would you know? <laughs> you are, you are watching that. That light. Costume. Yep. Yep. I have to wonder. Light show. If this. If this made it into the book because it's such a fantasy slash, well, I guess, I don't know, I guess Hunger Games kind of falls under the umbrella of fantasy, but it's a fantasy trope to describe how a woman's breasts are affected by something in the scene. But this context and having a female protagonist sort of changes how that's perceived. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong, right? Because, like, this is the kind of thing... That again, were this like a male protagonist, every woman would be like, oh, right, yeah, he's totally checking her out. Yeah, because what other right? would he have to be like focusing on breasts? Right. It would just and, be accepted as a given. Right. And, and so when you translate the context. Yeah, later in the book, too. Oh, right. Yeah. Remember, because there's like that moment where like she sees Joanna naked again, uh, you know, 
wrestling. And then afterwards she's talking to Peta about it or like, no, she's talking to Peta about something else. And then he says something about Joanna and she's like, Oh, well, why should I listen to something that Joanna said while she's oiling up her breasts for wrestling? Yeah. 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 Like that was such a weirdly specific remark. Just imagine like Peta, you know, like that, that really like commonly used gif now of the blonde guy just blinking really quick. Yeah. I just imagine Peta doing that and being like, I'm sorry, who brought that up? Why you brought yeah, that why, up? Why? why are you bringing this up? Right? You you didn't need to mention the context. Like you could have <laughs> just said because of something Joanna Mason said. But no, you specified while she was oiling up her breasts for wrestling. <laughs> and when it comes to yeah, Peter, she was also uh, she was also really uncomfortable with him being naked, right? In the first book, like she she made she turned around and made him take off his own shorts even though he was like bleeding to death. So she yes. washed them and then gave him like a backpack to cover himself with because what if she saw his junk? Like, ew. I have to admit that was a really relatable moment. It's like, I can literally <laughs> save your life, but you can't be nude in front of me. And I was just like, this is exactly how this scene would have happened if I were actually there. And like, Peter plays it off as if like she's, it's because she's, he says pure, but you can tell like he's thinking like because you're a prude. She's like 16 or 17 years old and she lives in a poor coal miner's town. Like, I'm sure she's aware of the ins and outs of sexual innuendo. Did you have to phrase it that way? (laughs) The ins and outs? No, but you're welcome. (laughs) It's appropriately phrased, I'd say. (laughs) Well, but I mean, on the other hand, though, Katniss, uh, she doesn't have any brothers. Her dad's been dead. Like, there's a chance that she's never even, like, seen a guy naked at this point. That's Which fair. could have something to do with it too, but yeah, it just depends right. on whether or not you have the the whether or not the society has the same hangups. Yeah, but, true. Yeah. But I mean, and the fact also, that she's just like so, like the idea disgusts her so much is just really funny. Yep, yep, yep. Because yeah, you're in a life or death situation. It feels like the wrong time to be like, please just make sure you keep yourself covered. Like, be like, we're we're in an arena and we're fighting to the death. Like, fine, if we see each other naked, whatever. You know? But, yeah. Especially yeah. since the angle that they're going for is, like, star-crossed lovers. So, that just makes the awkwardness even funnier. Right? Yeah. Doubly so because everybody just ate, everyone in the, the capital just ate that shit up. And I'm just like, these two were so miscast as, like, the leading couple. But, right. Okay. <laughs> right and that i mean and that's a huge reason why like i never felt really compelled by like Peta and katniss having a romantic relationship because so much of it seemed to be performance Uh which goes back to our previous point about compulsory heterosexuality because what is like compulsory heterosexuality but like the performance of desire of like what is expected desire by your culture when that's not actually how you feel and it's like well that's what Katniss has been doing, literally doing since the first book is like not performing. Very well, yeah, not very well because she's not a great actor in this regard, but she's been like performing yeah. desire and attraction for a guy on screen just so that everyone can, you know, be entertained by it. But to my mind, I was like, why would there be anything real behind that? She's literally been performing the whole time. And it's also that we're in her head. She's the POV character. The story is told in first person. We know exactly how she feels. So it's not even Mm -hmm. like the audience can necessarily. This is why the ship never made sense to me. Is because we know exactly how Katniss feels about any character at any given point. She literally tells us. So 
when people are like, oh, well, the love was blossoming as early as book two. And I'm just like, Katniss can't stand PETA through most of that book. Yep. And we know because she told us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yep. She's yep. So it's like, obviously, so that's, I guess you could say like, that's why the people in the Capitol just see the performance and are like, oh, it's a star-crossed lover's romance. I love it. But like, we know that that's not true. I think that the people in the Capitol probably liked the idea of like the cold girl warming up to the guy. And you know what? Probably some of that also worked in the favor of the ship in real life. Um, I was just thinking that. Yep. That like, even the audience reading the books are like buying the idea that the Capitol is itself buying. That like, this is just like a old woman who's learning how to love because this super nice guy loves her and cares about her and is devoted to her. Yeah, the the five magical words, he wore me down. Oh, Um, don't. That's four words. Is it? No. You're right. It was, uh, no, but it's it's a Parks and Rec quote. But but that's also like something that uh, didn't Finnick say something similar about Annie too? Or not she wore me down exactly, but it was something along that lines or oh, that's grew on me. He said something like that. Uh-huh. That sounds yeah, but she grew on me is different than she wore me down or he wore me yeah. down. Like the person grew on me is like, we didn't get along at first, but then as we learned about each other's quirks, we realized that that was what we liked about each other. Like that shit's adorable. I love that. Yep. That's uh-huh. like Lapidot in in a nutshell. <laughs> but true. like he wore me down. That's not a trope that I like. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think there's also very strongly element of that in the epilogue, but we should probably not go there yet because we all talk the whole time about it. Yeah. Uh, shall we move on to uh, the fact that most of Katniss's, uh, well, all of Katniss's most romantically coded relationships are with women. This is yes, my what? favorite part. Yes, this what? is where we get to talk about the ships. Yay! The ships that are still really quite popular, much to my surprise. <laughs> I feel like there's a reason why they're popular. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's obviously a reason. Okay, before we talk about the two big ones, I want to talk about the little one that nobody ever talks about but that I adore. Um, mm-hmm. That's the one that I call Voxness, because Avox, but really it's Lavinia, the uh, the red-headed Avox girl that did not make the movie, because of course she didn't. Actually, Madge didn't either. Um, Okay, but let me just pull everybody's attention to this very quickly. Just look at how this is set up. So basically Katniss sees this girl and this boy running away in the woods one day, and then she sees them get captured by the Capitol, and the girl sees her and yells for help, and then Katniss kind of freezes, doesn't move, and then they get captured, and then it turns out that when she gets to the Capitol, this girl is like her servant now. This whole thing feels like this classic tragic romantic setup. Like, we met once under tragic circumstances. Now you're a mute slave and I'm headed to my death. Yeah. You know? This is mildly problematic as a ship, but I understand why it developed as one. Right? I mean, I don't necessarily ship it, but it's like, it's a very romantically coded relationship is my point. Right. I mean, it feels much more like, like, this feels like an actual star-crossed lovers. Right? like romantic like notion right yeah they meet under tragic circumstances and they meet again right before like she's about to die like yeah yeah, totally. yeah. i'm with you on yeah. that 
Yeah, and then there's that moment where, like, you know, Katniss has that complete breakdown after she's trying to do her interview prep with Hamish, and he's a dick, as you'd imagine. Uh, so she, like, breaks a whole <laughs> bunch of shit in her room and eats a whole bunch of food, and then uh, the girl comes in to, like, turn down her bed, and her room is a mess, and Katniss has, like, cut her hand on a plate. So Lavinia goes, and she wipes away her tears, and she cleans her cut, and she tucks her into bed. That's gay! That's... <laughs> yeah. Right, because yeah, Kat- this is very fanficy. Cat Kat- right? like Katniss doesn't really cry, and so like giving her a scene where someone is like taking care of her while she's emotionally vulnerable is going to read as very like strongly <laughs> emotional and romantic because like Katniss doesn't really get those moments ever. Right, that's that's not who she is as a character. So any of them are going to stand out. Yeah, yeah, I could have seen this. If the story had chosen to go that direction, I would not have hated it. If, it was, if her servant was a boy, everybody would have started shipping that. Oh, yeah. Because they would have automatically read it that way. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Okay, shall we move on to Madness? Yes. <sighs> Imagine this ship or the sweet summer children that deserved better. It's oh my just... God. Okay, yep. I, need to, I need to read another quote here. I have it. I have it pulled up, so you don't have to worry about me taking my time on this one. Okay. Uh quickly pull up the right book okay so this is her talking about when she started hanging out with madge after she won her first games when she and peter were like not talking to each other okay so it was a little awkward at first because we didn't know what to do other girls our age i've heard them talking about boys or other girls or clothes madge and i aren't gossipy and clothes bore me to tears but after a few false starts, I realized she was dying to go into the woods. So I've taken her a couple of times and showed her how to shoot. She's trying to teach me the piano, but mostly I like to listen to her play. Sometimes we eat at each other's houses. Madge likes mine better. Hmm. I can't imagine why. So what is this fan fiction bullshit, as Elizabeth likes to say? Yes. <laughs> I feel like Suzanne Collins read a lot of like femme slash fan fiction and then wrote a straight book. Or she read a lot of a lot of the classic all female novels, which were totally written by gay women, and that's just had this like ripple. Effect oh, you're right. Ah, right. I'm just it, saying, like Emily no, Bronte and Jane Austen, right. and like yeah. you know, uh, yep. Because feels- had a lot of impact on female literature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this feels very much very similar to like the Jane Eyre, like the relationship that Jane has with Helen. While they're yes. still boarding school together, which is absolutely queer because yes. because Charlotte Bronte was like, absolutely. Or was that Emily? I can never remember which one of them was which. It also strikes me as a little Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. Which, That's another one. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, that like, and this was the one. So my best friend, Rachel, was the one who got me to read these books. And she didn't tell me what it was. She just said, like, you should read these books. And there's this really awesome ship. Like, just wait. Like, it's not in the, like, wait until you find it. This was what I thought she was talking about. <laughs> before we got to Joanna. But, like, as soon as, like, um, the moment where, like, Madge gives gives Katniss, like, the Mockingjay pin. And kisses her on the cheek. Right? Like, this is, like, my, again, if Katniss were, if Katniss were male, this reads, like, my lover is going off to war. This mm-hmm. is in the first book. Of, like, yeah. the person that I love is getting on a train and going to go fight in the war. What Especially was... since, like... Is that an ice cream truck? 
No, it's just a fun horn. Um, especially in the first book, because Katniss seems confused by this behavior. Right. Oh, right. She was like, I didn't think we were that that great of friends. And I'm like, she likes you, Katniss, you dense idiot. Right? right? You oblivious walnut. Okay, also, the, the part that I think is so funny about that one passage, though, is how she, like, just the piano thing, for some reason, like, a piano, that's just such a, like, romantic trope, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, I was just thinking, like, yeah. there's, certain, there's certain specific tropes to... Listening to her play the piano, like, she's just sitting there watching her, I, I don't know, it just all reads very, like, I read that paragraph and I choked and I was like, is this supposed to be gay? It I reads remember... like it is. I remember reading in a textbook somewhere that apparently they used to think that women playing piano and for other women, like, or like women playing piano for a man was improper because mm. it was a very intense and intimate sort of situation. I can see why. Okay. And like, I gotta be honest, this is like, okay, so like, I know, I know like the example in The Corpse Bride is a straight couple, but like, it's really hard to have two characters sitting playing a piano together and not have insane sexual tension in that scene. Yeah. Because yep. it just requires such tact. It requires a lot of tactile skill. It's like it's sort of like or like it's like pottery. It's just something where like you know what they're alluding to. Yeah. Like well, no and the teaching her how to shoot too. That's another one of those things, and that's a very fan fictiony trope. Yes, that's and so she that's touched trope, her back and stood behind her, tightened right. these muscles. Right. Well, like Aww. it requires the like arms wrapping around to like teach the person how to like hold like a bow and arrow. Yeah, it's like teaching a girl to play pool. Right, yep. Oh, you've used that trick, haven't you? I have. I used to be really good at it. <laughs> okay, so I just pulled up the quote from from uh, Hunger Games where Madge gives Katniss the the pin, and I just realized that it's, it's like, even gayer than I thought. Um, <laughs> so she says, will you wear this? She holds the circular gold pin that was on her dress earlier. I hadn't paid much attention to it before, but now I see it's a small bird in flight. Your pin, I say? Wearing a token from my district is about the last thing on my mind. Here, I'll put it on your dress, all right? Madge doesn't wait for an answer. She just leans in and fixes the bird to my dress. Promise me you'll wear it in the arena, Katniss, she asks. Thomas? Yes, I say. Cookies, a pin. I'm getting all kinds of gifts today. Madge gives me one more. A kiss on the cheek. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, Madge Touching. I remember reading this for the first time, and my I'll admit my hopes were up. Right? <laughs> I was totally shipping Madness until Joanna came along, and then I was like, okay, no, I'm shipping that, but I still kind of ship Madness. How can you not? Yes. Yeah, that was exactly yeah. my experience. It was like, oh my gosh, this is like so beautiful, and it's like her lover's going off to war, and she wants lover to wear like a token in the arena so she can see it and like a kiss up like oh my gosh and then you move in and i'm like well that's really nice this is nice too this is yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh man should we Uh, is that a good transition into jonas yes all right (laughs) so i mean that moment when they first meet it comes off kind of gay from Joanna's perspective, too, because she literally says that she wants to rip Katniss's dress off, and then she gets naked. Yes. Like, yes. it's a power move and intimidation tactic, obviously, but it really reads like a come on. Yeah. I'm scared and aroused. Right? Yeah. That's what she was going for. 
Yeah, honestly, that is sort of Joanna's entire entire vibe. It's a very carefully <laughs> cultivated personality. Yeah. I'm scared and aroused, exactly. Yeah, she wants that reaction from people. And she, I mean, and she gets it from, from Katniss, from what we tell. She was staring at her boobs in the elevator ride, so. Right. <laughs> While Joanne is just like casually chatting with Peta, I think that's my one of my favorite parts about that scene is that she pulls off this big power move, just like strips naked, and then just goes to like casually chat with Peta. Like, just like supposedly ignoring Katniss, but obviously the whole thing is for like it's meant yeah. to affect her. Right, yeah, there, it is not at all for Peta's benefit. It is entirely for Katniss. What I think is funny, though, is Peta isn't really all... I mean, he's sort of, like, embarrassed, but he's not that bothered by it. Like, he's just sort of like, oh, yeah, we can... He's like, this is definitely awkward, but I can continue this conversation. (laughs) Even he acknowledges, though, that Joanna was behaving that way because of Katniss. He thinks that it's, like... No, you know what? It's actually actually kind of funny, because he groups in Joanna's behavior with this behavior that Finnick and Chaffalch so showed, which is basically, like, they were all kind of sexually harassing her a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah not kind the, of. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Like, Joanna was at least, like, not, I don't know, not kissing her on the mouth like Chaff did, but, yeah, yeah he did groups all funny. of it in together, which I think was pretty insightful, because I think that Joanna had the exact same intent as the other two. She was trying to make her uncomfortable and turned on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And Joanna actually succeeded. Yeah. Yep. Because I forgot, like, yeah, because Katniss doesn't really react to Chaff. No. Like, no, she's more just kind of horrified. Phoenix, she's, like, embarrassed. And some people have said, like, she seems kind of turned on. It's like, it's hard to tell. She just it seems really awkward in general. Right. I think. And with I Joanna, like, she's like, how dare she get on my nerves? <laughs> I feel, no, exactly. Like, with Phoenix, she just seems, like, annoyed, but not affected by it with joanna she's just like i'm gonna go fucking stew about this for the next three days right (laughs) yeah she can't stop thinking about like that yep that moment so much that she brings it up again yep and then but okay you know what obviously it's very shippable and catching fire and like they they have all kinds of chemistry and i do love the whole enemies to allies thing that they have going on there um but Mocking Jay is really where most of the shippable content is, and unfortunately, they like cut pretty much all of it from the movie, which was shitty. Uh, but okay, so just in case anybody doesn't know, they were roommates. Yep. Oh my god, they were roommates. They were roommates. <laughs> Because uh, after they get discharged from the hospital, uh, Joanna doesn't have anyone to live with and they won't let her live on her own because she's like a morphling addict. So Katniss offers to bunk with her, even though Joanna has a habit get a, a habit of getting naked and uh, this quote unquote annoys Katniss. That's very mm-hmm. sweet of her. Yeah. I'm sure it's that has nothing that she, to do with it. It's interesting that she can barely stand to be around Peter or Gale at this point in the story, but she willingly subjects herself to being annoyed by Joanna. Well, she also supposedly doesn't like Joanna, but she decides to <laughs> hang out with her anyway. I know. It's like, I don't like this person. I'm going to spend like a third of this book trying to be her friend. No, mm-hmm. it was only a few chapters, unfortunately, but it felt like longer. Right. And, and I mean, okay, actually, no, in terms of like time, it was a it was a while. It was like probably two, two to three weeks or something that this was going on. It was the whole time they were prepping for the Capitol. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were like training partners and shit, and that just made it extra shippable. That's like another big romantic trope. 
Mm-hmm. The like, well, like sparring, yeah. like sparring with each other yes. has so much like sexual tension to it. <laughs> like- <laughs> Gay women really like that trope, don't we? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, they're running yeah, around I think with you, I think, you, I think you two like it more than I do. Jeez. <laughs> I am a big fan of the of the sparring. Yeah, the sparring. Yes. And, you know, they were, like, on a practice squad together and everything, and they were mm-hmm. in this horrible situation together because neither of them were originally picked, and they had to try to, like, impress everybody. And Joanna helped Katniss. She helped her put together her gun because her hands were shaking. And and then she brought her the pine needles. Like, <laughs> okay, Katniss is not a sentimental person, no. but yet she does this thing. She, like, she, she goes out of her way to make this, like, grand gesture for somebody and it totally reads like a grand romantic gesture too like it's a handmade gift designed to make a girl feel better and remind her of happier times Katniss that's gay yep yep gay. yep and what I like the other thing I love so much about their dynamic which uh Elizabeth you will probably appreciate with me because it's very much like a lapidot dynamic is like mutual healing is like these are both like yes. traumatized women who have suffered a lot and kind of didn't like each other when it started but now they're in the opportunity to like help each other heal from like literally like war they're both suffering through PTSD and like trying to help each other heal and i am just like all about that shit yes. i love it uh-huh. love it love it love it what are my favorite oh my God. yep yeah, Joanna should have gone to District 12 after the war. It would have it would have been great. Right. I know, like, oh. okay, I always ship Jonas, but at the end it was like, the, she would be the best person here because, like, she wouldn't take too much. She would be less permissive than PETA, but she would also be more understanding than Gail because she understands, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's been through that. Right. I also take issue with her flip-flopping on the whole having kids thing because, mm-hmm. you know, like... It just sort of feels like it's something you were expected to do, and since the re- the original reason she had to not have kids isn't really there anymore, but, like, I don't know. To me, it always felt like there was more behind it, so it just, I I hated the epilogue. Let's just start with that. <laughs> yep. Uh, oh, are we transitioning officially to the epilogue now? Um, yes, as we're starting to run low on time. Yeah. Okay, we right. might as well. We've pretty much done everything else. <laughs> <laughs> How much do we all hate the epilogue? Scale of one to ten. <laughs> um, okay, the book epilogue, I didn't yeah. hate that much. I really hated the movie epilogue. Oh, oh yeah, that was worse. Okay, wait, yeah. what, was it, I think, I can't remember, wait, Lisa, was it in June or March? I finally watched the second half of oh, yeah. Day. And okay, was- so you finally watched both Mockingjays. You loved the first one and hated the second one, which was also my experience. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. first one was absolutely amazing because one of my... Okay, so I'm one of those boring people. Like, I really like the Star Wars prequels because my jam is slow, methodical, political machinations. Mm. (laughs) I have a few moments of really awesome fight scenes. And then Bocking J Part 2 was just a lot of people sitting around looking sad in decrepit hallways. I was very upset. Well, and also (laughs) fighting. But, like, of course, none of that was Joanna sitting around in a hallway because that wasn't important. Was she even in Part 2? Like, Uh, Barely. (laughs) Right, yeah, I couldn't remember her being in it at all. So, yeah, she was barely in it. 
She was in it. She had that, okay, she had that uh, totally uncharacteristic moment where she just told Katniss to go hide in the ship to get her um, to the capital because they sex machina and they were running out of time and they wanted to get oh, to the smashy no. smashy. Right! Yay. Yeah! That's right. where they, they did that instead of having them actually, you know, be roommates and training partners. And if Katniss, you know, work up to going to the capital, they just had her jump on a plane. They cut out all of her character development. But oh, well. I guess that's not important either. No. You know, it's what important is- the boys. Ugh. Gross. Okay, and I don't I mad boys. I just, I just liked the first movie the best, believe it or not. Oh, because it didn't do. play up the love angel. The, yep. It didn't play up the love triangle so much. Yep. Also, yeah. The first movie mimicked the pacing of the book very well, where you and don't the realize... Top. Yeah, you mm-hmm. don't like it's it's sort of like the like the first part of the book like where she gets selected and then they go to the capital. That all happens in like 15 minutes. And in the book it's like mm, less than a fifth of the book. Right. So I like that it had that breakneck pace and it actually feels claustrophobic while watching it and you almost feel like you're missing information because things are happening so fast, but it was done on yeah. purpose. And the first one was <laughs> so good. How is the last one so bad? Different director. I mean <sighs> Francis Lawrence did Catching Fire too, which was very good. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Mockingjay Part Two is just way worse than the rest of them. Um, okay, so let's jump back to the epilogue before you know, so that we have the chance to actually talk about the epilogue. Yep. Um, okay, so the reason I uh, the reason I didn't like the book epilogue, I mean, epilogue, is because they really tonally shifted it. At least in my opinion, like when I read the epilogue in the book, to me, it sounded like I don't know. It actually felt very bittersweet. It didn't really seem like it was supposed to be a happy ending. It Katniss felt like is saying, like, oh. yeah, it, it did kind of read like a suicide letter. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, okay. It the, the very end of like the book, it kind of ends on a hopeful moment. I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's kind of, that's kind of fucked up, but kind of nice. And then the epilogue happened, and I was like, I feel really upset now. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You feel and like some people think that that was like a happy ending, but it wasn't. No, no. you feel like she's going to write this out. And she's like, well, at least Peter is happy now that he has the kids. And this is right before she walks out into the woods and shoots herself in the head. Like, right? It does kind of feel like that. I hadn't read it that way initially. But like now that you say it, I'm like, it does kind of feel like, well, he's going to be happy and everything seems taken care of. So bye, everybody. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be fine without me. Like, oh, oh, oh. Head cannon. Instead of going out and shooting herself in the head, she just hops on a train and goes to District oh, Seven. Yes, I'm Except here for that. We should have done that 20 years ago, but whatever. Sure, yeah. Still alive, it'll be great. I yeah. may have to write this fanfic. Do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I already did. I already wrote one like that. Except she actually. You're right. Goes, Remember pre-epilogue? You're right. You're right. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. Right, because what frustrated me the most about that was because the one thing that Katniss was absolutely certain she never wanted for literally all three books, all three books, was that she never wanted to have children. And I have heard people, like, come up with all sorts of convoluted explanations why it makes sense. I'm like, but still, but still, she does not want kids the entire three books. And then we get a page of her being like, so I settled down and had babies. I was like, you did what? Yeah. You did what now? You did the thing uh, that you never wanted to do from the moment we met you on page? Why? It's in like the first, like literally the first 10 pages. Yep. 
Yeah. She uh, had the whole conversation with like Gail in the woods about how like she never wants to be a mother and she doesn't have kids and Oh my god, and that conversation is so awkward because she like she misreads what Gail is talking about and she thinks that he like actually wants to you know what I'm talking about, right? Like yeah. you you guys have read the article I wrote about like how Katniss reads totally autistic and Yes. She, she has that moment with like in that conversation, Gail's like trying to gauge her interest in him and she thinks that he literally just wants to run away right now. And then he gets mad when like she says she doesn't oh, right. want to have kids and she's really confused. Right, yeah, because she thought that he meant like right now. Yeah. <laughs> like right this second. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean like I don't know. If Katniss had decided on her own that she wanted to have kids or if like she had come around to that without him pressuring her, it's the fact that it really sounded like like the he wore me down part to me, it affects yes. like it's about the kids to me more than like her actually coming to have interest in him. Like you really yep. get that strong vibe that he wore her down for kids. Like she basically says, Oh, it took me so long to agree, but he wanted them so badly. Oh! Right. Yep. Yep, I'm with I'm yeah. with you on that. It's less that she ended up with Peta and more that like that feeling of like she ended up settling for a life she never wanted just because Peta wanted it. Right, exactly. Because at this point any excuse she had to not fall in line with this particular life is gone. Right. Right. And yeah. that just I like think she stopped caring and it's really sad. Yeah, yeah. Like it is like it reads like maybe uh Suzanne Collins meant it as a happy ending. But it definitely doesn't feel that way when I read it. Because I read it and I'm like, this feels really tragic. Because here is a woman who ended up settling for a knife she never wanted just because that's what her partner did. And that is kind of horrifying to me. (laughs) I feel like when, okay, a lot of straight women say that they believe that women can find fulfillment without getting married and having children. And I'm like, then why do you literally never write any media that way? Right. If you sincerely believe this, then you would be able to like allow your characters to just exist. Like, honestly, I would even accept Katniss goes out into the middle of the woods, builds a cabin, and exists as a woman only known as the crone for the rest of her life. <laughs> right? Okay, oh. I would have been totally happy with Katniss ending up with nobody, at least in the foreseeable yeah. future. Like, she would be why like, did there have to be a shippy ending? No, it could even be a happy ending. She'd be like a Studio Ghibli character, you know, like the old woman of the woods who you're like 90% sure she's magical, but you're not, you've never actually seen like any proof, but she's friends with all the forest animals and it's weird. Like, that's yeah. kind of, that's what I thought the ending of the book would be, is that she would just like go and like realize like, oh, the only person that I'm comfortable with is myself and I can just live this nice quiet life away from people, people who have I think she would have been happy that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the in the woods where she the only time she was ever like peaceful and happy that we in the books that we read is when she's out hunting. She'll so be like on like Buttercup Four because she has to keep something that reminds oh, her of Prim. Oh, that oh, makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. I like that they became <laughs> friends. That was like my bro TP of the series. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That was yeah. one of the few adaptational decisions in the the last film that I actually liked. That scene was exceptionally well done. But that was oh, on yeah. like the shoulders of Jennifer Lawrence being able to act that scene. Yes. Yep. I was so glad that they included it though. That was such an important scene. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. <sighs> Unfortunate. So I mean, what 
What's really, I mean, I guess not interesting, frustrating probably, is that all of these threads get cut from the movies. Yeah. Like, we yeah. lose her relationship with the Avox. We lose Madge Undersea. We lose Joanna. Most of Joanna's relationship. Most of Joanna's relationship. And the like, epilogue got messed up, too. Yep. Yeah. Right. So, like, is it, do we think it's because the author didn't make them important enough in the original book? Like, were they just unnecessary because they're really not important in the book? Or was it like an adaptational decision because the filmmakers were like, oh, these ladies don't matter? It's entirely an adaptational decision. Uh, Oh, I think it's a bit of both. It's not even that hard to... No, because it's not even hard to determine why they made these choices. It's because they were coming off the heels of Twilight, which is the reason why Mockingjay was cut into two parts, because they also did for Harry Potter and for Twilight. Everything gets cut into two now. Honestly, Mockingjay could have been three movies, and they probably still wouldn't have quite gotten it right. They should just make the entire series like a mini series. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I support that. But also, uh, series. speaking of uh-huh. Twilight, it was because the love triangle angle, like that shit moved tickets. Mm. Like, that was the model that everybody was working off of. And then it didn't quite work out for the Hunger Games like they expected. And so fortunately, it has not been as common. But yeah. considering that that was the previous like big blockbuster crossover hit was twilight i'm guessing that that was probably a lot of their decision was weighed by like oh we could get some of that sweet twilight movie by playing up the love triangle well and you know i wonder why it didn't work so well in the hunger games it's because like the the content just isn't there for it and like the i don't know like uh, uh gretchen we talked briefly about this in like the previous version of this podcast that got um eaten by the <laughs> internet but yeah. uh we were talking about how um, Kylie on her on her watch when she started to watch the Hunger Games movies as somebody who had never read the books, she was like, when she got to Catching Fire, she was like, oh, I'm glad that they let Katniss emote more. But when I read that, I was like, but but she's not supposed to, yeah, right? She's supposed to be like paralyzed with trauma, to be completely honest. Yeah, right. and like yeah, they kind of even... got that right in parts of Catching Fire, but I don't know. It seemed like the further the movie series went on, the like they made her more like visibly emotionally fraught which didn't seem right for the character and she got more obsessed with the boys like to an extent that i don't know like she did get pretty obsessed with Peta in the book too but it i don't know it seemed maybe clearer that the reason why is because she felt responsible for what happened to him not because she was in love with him yep yep yeah you're right and there's even textual support in the book for that yeah it has everything to do with like her i mean it's survivor's guilt like these are war Mm -hmm. stories like, these are stories that feel very much, like, ripped out of, um, like, the Vietnam War. It wasn't like, Vietnam. It was Iran. The author based the, right. characters oh. the characters off of children who had grown up in war-torn Iran, who had grown up with bombs flying over their heads. I mean, and it makes also, I think her yep. father was in the military, too. Yeah, yeah was, that's what it, I was thinking. I think her dad fought in Vietnam. Yep, it was an exceptionally well-researched novel. See, that's something that I find interesting is, like, there's also, like, somewhat of a generational gap I see with how people interpret this story. Because, like, whenever I talk to somebody, like, under 30, the thing that they usually relate to is the trauma. Mm. That's the thing that they always talk about. And that's even, like, I remember, Gretchen, before you read the book, that I I even, like, one of the first things I mentioned was is it's one of the best uses of a first-person narrative because it actually yep. makes you experience the PTSD. Because mm-hmm. that's what oh. it actually, because things like information being repeated in places where it otherwise wouldn't be, or Katniss dropping details in some places but noticing them in others, like, it's 
Mm-hmm. Especially, especially like Mockingjay for oh yeah for its problems. I think the thing that it it does better than any other book I've read is it makes it shows you what it's like to have like that level of trauma where you're mm-hmm. whole, like you really just can't hold it together. Like everything just kind of happens at random. You don't really have a sense of linear time. Yeah, you know what Mockingjay like, reminds me of? Hmm. What? Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm. Yes. Yep. Actually, you are correct. Yep. Yep. Sometimes I'm correct. It makes me really (laughs) happy that you've read that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually, like, one of my favorite books in terms of, like, not liking it, but thinking it's really well done for what it's supposed to do. Like, that Mm. book genuinely upset me, and I was pressed for weeks after reading it, so it did its job. Yep. So what would you say, Elizabeth, I'm really curious, what do do people old – over 30 respond to then they they, respond to i feel like this is actually like this is probably a larger generational gap in general um they respond to the overarching plot and then the romantic subplot because they're not like this is gonna sound kind of weird but like the emotions of the characters are kind of secondary to the story the story is the plot Mm. which you could i'm sort of starting to see this disconnect oh you mean from their perspective yeah, so yeah. like, yeah. okay, so ask somebody who's in their 40s what they think Star Wars is about. Ask someone in their 30s and their 20s, and you'll get three completely different answers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No, but, that makes perfect sense. But also, like, when you consider who was producing the film and who was writing the scripts, like, I'm just, considering how well-researched the books were, I'm surprised that the author was okay with some of the adaptational choices or she must have signed the contract in such a way that she wasn't allowed to object to them. Well, I mean, she was involved in the writing process, at least in the first movie, she was one of the writers. And I think, I think she was somewhat involved in the later ones, but I think less involved just given some of the yeah. things that were dropped. Yeah. Right. Also at that, like I said, the point, first movie feels most like the books, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. the problem is, is that once the once the films are a hit, it gives the studios more leverage to be like, "Hey, we need to make we need this to make money," which is stupid because it's guaranteed to make at least some. Right. Um, we I don't know why they do this. Like this is always like this is a mistake that so many studios make. They're like, "We have to make sure this makes money. Let's make it let's make it resemble this other thing that made money." And I'm like, "How about you have it resemble the thing that you're adapting that made money?" I feel like this is right. a path to success. Less right. convoluted. Right. Well, there are those same weaknesses in Mockingjay, too. Like, that is one of, I think, the weaknesses of Mockingjay as a book is that there's, some, there's like, more playing up of the of the love triangle angle as well. Not nearly as much as in the films, but even that whole conversation that, like, Peta and Gail have, I was like, yeah. okay, why are they doing this, though? This feels weird. Like it's weirdly out of character, maybe not right. necessarily for Gail, but definitely for Peta. Yeah. Like, okay, but I did love Cass's reaction to it, though. It was really funny. Yeah, that was great. Because she this thinks was... to herself, like, well, actually, I could live without both of them. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wonder if that might have just been the point of the scene, to have Katniss say that. But then, like, you undermine that with the epilogue. So... Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> yep. Like, yeah, okay, we... I guess she didn't really mean that. Okay, no, I can tell you why I don't like the epilogue, in, especially in this context, is because it implies that Katniss, everything that Katniss believed up until then was because she was a silly teenager, and I hate that shit. Yep. Ooh, I didn't read it that way, but that's a good point. 
right yeah, yeah. because the epilogue changes it's, it's the same issues like not okay not quite the same but it's the same it's a related reason why i hate the epilogue to the harry potter series is because mm. i'm just like first of all ambiguity is a good thing yep yeah. But second of all, I don't like having like proof in text that all of my faves like got predictably boring hetero married to each other and had children with terrible names. There was a Tumblr post about that and people were like, uh, why, uh, you can just say it's about the Hunger Games and somebody was el- else was like, no, you can just say it's about Harry Potter. It was this thing about like, oh, the epilogue tells you that the f- female main character decided to be a wife and mother and abandoned all of her political responsibilities or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh. I've heard it described for the Harry Potter series, though I think it fits actually very well with the Hunger Games as well, is like it's a baby boober ending on a millennial story. Yes. Oh my god, right? Like Which that, is- like I've I've seen it described that way. I'm like, that's the spe- best description I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah, because even like, and there is a big disconnect. I actually had this conversation. This is sort of off topic, but it it's tan- it's related. So <laughs> I was talking to my mother the other day about the movie The Way They Were or The Way We Were. And so she was describing the ending to me because I've never seen it. She's like, well, you know, like he sees her and she's doing like her protest thing with with the son they had. And he's off doing his own thing. And they're from two different worlds. And I'm like staring at her. I'm like, that sounds like a happy ending. Like they couldn't be together because they were incompatible. And then she's just like staring at me like we can't continue this conversation. And I'm like, but wait, like, isn't this a good thing? (laughs) Right. I mean, realizing that something isn't going to work for you isn't necessarily a bad or unhealthy thing yeah no yeah i know so it sort of makes sense like and i feel like a lot of teen novels that get adapted or young adult novels are having this problem because there's the way that like a younger generation views them and also this does and i I can make it related again because the younger generation is more likely to be queer and so these readings are going to be more common and so it's more common for us to have this huge disconnect with an adaptation that makes it feel like it you know the hunger games feels like a very modern book it's a book that like there's a lot of things about it where you're like there's the only way that this book could have come together was when it was published and the film adaptations um it makes it it's like you know this could have been like a sci-fi novel from like the 1950s because it took Mm. a lot of stuff that made it uniquely modern the uh definitely mocking j part two anyway and like their reading of the epilogue because like maybe suzanne collins did mean for it to be like an unsatisfactory ending and if so then that's all right then that is kind of like the millennial ending but the way that they made it in the movies was just like oh look she she's dealing with her trauma kind of and she's talking about it in a happy voice to her baby yeah i think Uh, think and everybody looks happy okay so they could have fixed the epilogue if they just showed it with no background music, just like fo- like folly effects, just sound effects of just mm. her in the field with the children and with Peta, and have a moment where she's smiling but not really, and say nothing else about it. And that would yeah. that's how you adapt an ending like that because that's the feeling that the book leaves you is that yeah. you're like, well, she's smiling but she's not happy. Like she's smiling but not not but not with her eyes. But having like the uh, the monologue. Yeah. It's like, that's mm-hmm. like in a vis- okay, so here's the thing. In a visual medium, you don't tell the audience how to feel. You make them feel it. Yes. And that's why yep. the epilogue sucks. <laughs> yep. Right. Because you're, because, yeah, she's telling us how she, like, specifically how we should feel for her rather than letting us make up our own mind. 
Well, she's also saying like, oh, I know it's hard, but I deal with it in this way. And she said she sounds almost like happy and hopeful about it. And I don't know. To me, in the epilogue, she did not sound very hopeful. She sounded like resigned to this life that kind of sucks, like dealing with her trauma and having this family that she never really wanted. Right. Which does actually like in a really, really interesting way fit. You could read it that way of the like war generation, because as a child, if you're parents went off to war like i'm thinking of this as like suzanne looking at her dad as like a war survivor like that's probably how he felt coming back from war being really traumatized and being like well i guess i'm having a family like it may not i I may not be what i wanted and i may not be super happy about it but it's a life i've settled into and i'm okay with it but that doesn't mean that it's that i'm like super fulfilled it also the problem is that Katniss like loses herself, and she loses all of her character development in the end by choosing that path, and it's yep. sad. It also yeah. feeds into heteronormativity, and in mm-hmm. that like I don't know, for some reason, to me there is always something very gay about a woman who's just like, oh, this isn't what I wanted when she's married with kids. Yeah. Not always the case, but like there's just something about it where I'm like, you are literally just like one random encounter at a department store away from leaving your husband. Or in an yeah. elevator. Yeah, or in an elevator. <laughs> one random naked encounter in an elevator away from leaving. Oh, that's what that was. And... <laughs> okay, so we are getting the five minute flags. We're gonna start wrapping up. All right. right. So in closing, <laughs> oh. is there anything else real quick that we want to get in before we wrap up? I mean, I feel like we talked through most of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which is funny because last time we had a harder time getting through everything, but I think that's because we took a longer detour into like trauma and autism and stuff. But we can link. Oh, yeah. We can link other articles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good good way to end. So, yeah. Lisa, why don't you plug your articles you've written? Oh, um, yeah. So I wrote the one uh, called is Katniss Everdeen autistic and it's not necessarily saying yes she is but it's looking at the evidence and saying hey this is why some people think it and you know it's basically inconclusive but that's what it is in the book anyway and I wrote that because I am your friendly neighborhood autistic (laughs) one of them anyway Mm -hmm. um did I also write another one oh yeah I also wrote one about the Hunger Games about how it's uh it's called The Hunger Games is Not a Feminist Masterpiece. Talk Oh yeah, we didn't even talk this time about how Hamish is the worst, but we all agree. Oh about gosh, that. he is. Absolutely yeah. the worst. Um yeah, and I also wrote a lot of fan fiction, which yeah. I should probably plug to. Uh, and so you can find me on Archive of Our Own and fanfiction.net under the alias Joanna's Motivational Insults. And I mostly, I, as you could probably I guess, love I mostly it. write Joanna and Katniss. That is one of my favorite lines, though, of dialogue. I mean, uh, monologue. She's it talking is, about Joanna, Joanna's motivational insults. And like, okay, yeah, so sorry, this is one more thing that I did want to mention. Part of the reason why I shipped Jonas in the end was because, like, Joanna was the one person who could kind of get Katniss out of bed and, you know, she got her to train and everything. She pulled her along. And I feel like Candace needed somebody like that at the end to kind of pull her out of her misery yep. and like help her, but also make her try to get better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Honestly, most of the fanfic for this ship is exactly that. 
Yep. Yeah. Which would be a good thing to peruse on your way out of this podcast because we are out of time. Thank you, everybody, yep. for listening. Please do oh. not forget, if you like us and you want to help support us, we now have a subscription service, Fundamentals mm-hmm. Plus. You get exclusive content. Gretchen has an awesome video essay up on that, which she would really... I loved it. It would be really great. Oh, y'all thanks. Watch that. We would like to thank you for your continued support. Uh, we also have a few other podcasts. We have the Unabashed Book Snobbery, the Fundamentalists. And we also have our film podcast, which is it still um, under the screen of the Ultra Critic? Yes, beneath. Yes, yes beneath, beneath the screen, screen of the Ultra Critic. I will remember it at some point. Anyway, thank <laughs> you so much for listening. Uh, please let us know what you think in the comments, and we will see you soon. All right. Thanks for having me on. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.